Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Format One and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Dev Arora, and I'm the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support funds and founders and help accelerate their efforts with people, strategy, and capital. Uh, and now, pass it off to John. Great. So it's John here. I'm uh, working with Arjun at Villains Advisory. I'm the lead more on executive coaching, communication, and storytelling. But enough about us. Today's guest is Alexander Mans. People call him Alex as well. And we're going to have Alex tell us a bit about what he's up to now in the startup world and introduce himself. Great. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Arjun. Uh, I'm Alex Mans. I'm the founder uh, of a company called Flyer. And I think the timing uh, of this interview is very, very cool because we find ourselves in one of the most challenging uh, times for the industry we operate in, travel. Right? Our primary customers are airlines. We ingest our data and we use that to uh, intelligently and contextually forecast the future and uh, establish how they should be pricing their tickets to maximize revenue. Uh, we're about 70, 75 people. Uh, we've raised capital from the likes of Peter Thiel, Streamline Ventures, uh, Ulas, who was also on your series, I think a couple of weeks ago. I myself, I'm Dutch, born and raised in the Netherlands. I moved to Silicon Valley about six years ago, uh, but I've been doing startups ever since I came out of high school uh, around the age of 15. Wow. Thank you. So how long ago was that? Uh, I'm 29 right now. So I've been doing startups for, uh, for a while. Wow. Yeah, 14 wow. years. Wow. Yeah. So tell us a bit about, um, you know, growing up in the Netherlands and, you know, going, getting straight into startups from high school. Like, what was your thinking at the time? What were your passions? Yeah. Whether it was obviously aviation, something that's important mm -hmm. to you, but I'm sure you have a rich number of other passions. Yeah. Talk us through some of that because I myself, I'm not too familiar with what the ecosystem is like in the Netherlands. I yeah. have met a few Dutch entrepreneurs, but I uh, would love to hear more. Yeah, actually, you'll find a surprisingly high number of Dutch entrepreneurs in the Valley. Uh, actually, a good friend of mine put together a list. Uh, and I think the average capital raised is, uh, is something like $45 million wow. over, the, over the lifetime of uh, Dutch entrepreneurs lifetime. He just only took the list of those that actually came and stayed, not the ones that left. So it might be a bit biased. But uh, yeah, so the Netherlands. So it's a, it's a very different place in the United States, right? There's a bit of a saying in the Netherlands, uh, which is one of the reasons why I came out here. And that is that um, average is good enough, right? And as a kid, I've always wanted to you know build things. And the easiest tool or mechanism to build stuff is a computer. So from the moment my aunt had a computer when I was like four, four years old or something and started teaching me, you know, word art and paint, uh, I always wanted to do more. I always want to want to go further. I want to do more. I want to do bigger. I want to build things. So I, by the age of 10 or so, I, I, I taught myself to, you know, build websites and you know, build basic programs in JavaScript. And then eventually that that grew from there. Um, then during high school, I find myself building scheduling software for local high schools. That was more coming out of a, a ad hoc opportunity uh, than anything else. Uh, the father of my best friend in high school was the dean of the school. Um, so that kind of uh, came together that way. But I really enjoyed building and creating things and creating software. And then I kind of found out along the way that you can actually make money doing uh, doing that and, and building value and, and, and still being, you know, enjoying yourself while doing it. So by the time I finished high school, a few years earlier than other kids, because I skipped uh, the last two years of primary school and the last year of high school, I had the option to either, you know, continue doing what I was already doing, 
I had already incorporated as a kid. My parents were very uh, graciously uh, helpful in, uh, in taking me to a judge and, and making me legally an adult when I was 14. Uh, so they've been very supportive on this. Um, but then I had the choice out of high school, do I go and build a company or do I go and study like everybody else? And I was going to study physics uh, in the Netherlands, but I decided a few weeks before the start of the school year that I was going to build a company instead. And I've been doing startups ever since. Uh, this is my third one, a third real one, I should say, that the one where actually real money was invested and you know, we had a team. And, uh, but coming to the US has been a, a big positive shift for me, right? The extended network, the capital, the other entrepreneurs, the focus on don't be afraid to think big, keep pushing hard. Uh, don't be afraid to, you know, try and be above average. Like all those, like all those factors played a role for me to pack my suitcase, jump on an airplane and come to Silicon Valley six years ago. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And I, I'm sure your story is unique, but obviously uh, we've heard very similar stories from other immigrant entrepreneurs who are equally, if not uh, on par with you in terms of intelligence. And one of the things they share about is how, what a breath of fresh air it is to come to say the Valley in terms of pursuing your aspirations and innovation and startup. But one thing that they often overlook is like, not overlook, but they don't talk too much about is how challenging it is to actually make your way out here when you fundamentally have a different mindset or ideology towards life and work. I'm not sure whether you experienced that yourself, well, but I, if you did, it'd be interesting if you could unpack some of that for us. Well, I, I think it is not a coincidence that a lot of very successful entrepreneurs in the Valley or in the States in general happen to be immigrants, right? Like, I think the people that are leaving the surrounding they grew up in tend to be the people that realize that that surrounding is not the place for them to, to grow or develop. Right. So, and if you argue that there is a, like there are certain components to being a great entrepreneur, then, then I would also argue that, that people that are great entrepreneurs tend to be the ones that, that make that move to begin with. Right. So I don't know the numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if the success rate across Immigrant entrepreneurs is exceptionally high compared to uh, American-born, you know, entrepreneurs. Simply because you have a natural selection of those that are looking to leave their original environment and come to the, to the valley. And I think I'm not surprised at all by like by seeing so many immigrant entrepreneurs. Um, for me, like the Netherlands is a great country, right? Like it's I think it's one of the happiest countries on earth in terms of people and education is great and there's a real ecosystem developing for startups and there's a ton of really amazing startups coming out of the out of the country uh, particularly around Amsterdam uh, in similar ways that Berlin and Paris and London have been developing uh, as kind of startup hubs in Europe but it still compares nothing like Silicon Valley or the United States I would say because I think the east coast New York is also getting really strong but between the capital the experience and, and like-minded people, it is primarily the network. Right? The network effect is incredible in Silicon Valley and across the country. Um, and you know, I, I, I've, I've lost count of the number of people that I was introduced to that then ended up leading to an investor or hiring somebody or a potential customer. And uh, thank you. Thank you. We totally agree with you. And the, um, I mean, I know you've lost count, but what are some of those uh, memorable experiences of network effects that you have had when you first came to the valley and you know how meaningful that was for you maybe your confidence or even to the extent of uh, clarifying the conviction you have in what direction you want to take as a founder well, uh, uh, 
Well, well, I have a couple of examples. I think one that I, I also because he was on your show before, Ulas, who led our <laughs> speedrun streamline ventures. Uh, he's great. <laughs> um, Ulas, is, Ulas is amazing. He sits on our board, so I'm 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 pretty close to Ulas. But I I met Ulas at some point shortly after I moved here, and this was before I knew how fundraising works, and it's kind of it's mostly networking. And then while we were when we were actually raising capital, I went to this event at Runway, which is in the Twitter building on Market Street, and there was a bit of a you know a pitch competition or like entrepreneurs presenting what they were up to, I would say. And Ulos was there as well. And Ulos walks up to me afterwards. I hadn't even spotted him. And Ulos is like, hey, you know, we met. And actually it was funny because he is the guy who's supposed to, you know, run into dozens and dozens of people every week. And he was the one to come to me. I hadn't spotted him, you know, a year after we originally met and be like, hey, we spoke about this. Didn't you do XYZ? So yeah, that, that, that's correct. And um, uh, we got talking and a month later, Ulas led our seed round. And that's an example of like where in many other countries, they would probably call it coincidence. I think in Silicon Valley, that's an example of what's very common, right? That's commonplace. It happens all the time uh, when, when it comes to kind of the network effect of running into people, being referred to people, or people haven't heard about you. Like the number of people that have, have heard about our company, even though they're in a completely different space, and they're not our customer base, especially because we're the enterprise SaaS. Like the number of people that I've heard about us is far greater than I, you know, than I, I would have ever presumed. And again, network effect, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, great. Thanks. And, and Alex, you know, you know, Arjun and I have had the opportunity to build a relationship with you and Flyer for some time and collaborate in some aspects of its uh, business. But one thing that we notice about you as a founder is you're a builder and you have a strong technical background, but you're also not afraid to speak and present narrative and what we would say are the softest skills involved in a startup. Is that something you develop, you know, and practice when you got to the value? Is that something you inherently had growing up since you got straight into startups at 17 years of age? And obviously you realize, hey, I have to sell something. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I think actually the, the, the technical interests and building things might have followed my natural extrovert kind of focus, wanting to sell stuff. Um, as a kid, and I don't think I've ever told the story, but like, you know, I used to have like, whenever my, my family would be over, my uncles or my aunts or my, my cousins, like as a kid, I was like eight years old. I would like give these little DJ shows in my bedroom and everybody would come upstairs and I would be squeezed into the doorway and I would be doing the DJ shows. And this is embarrassing. I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> but, um, so I, I've always enjoyed kind of, um, I wouldn't say putting on a show, but like kind of like engaging and communicating with people. I think that's over time as has transformed more towards, you know, deeper discussions and trying to build value, right? Whether that's building a business or raise capital for ourselves or for others or, um, have deeper discussions about, you know, economy or, you know, why it is that Silicon Valley works or doesn't work. And I think I, I enjoy having those conversations because it, it helps me build a better understanding of the environment around me, um, which I think as an entrepreneur, leading a company is something that you need to develop to get better at what you're doing and, and, and to also develop your instincts so that you become faster at doing the right thing. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's, yeah. uh, thanks for sharing that story. Mm -hmm. Actually, Arjun has something to add to that DJ. Yeah, I was just going to say, as a DJ myself, I really appreciate you sharing that story. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was hilarious. I would be DJing for my family, and at the end of the year in primary school, I would be the one bringing in, hauling my equipment 
into the primary school for the end of year party for all the kids. And nice. I found out that my speakers weren't quite equipped for large, <laughs> large holes and stuff. And I would blow up my equipment. It was a long story. Different, different time. Different time. Very cool. Acoustic <laughs> challenges. And, you know, you say an interesting thing that um, I think that you've always had this recognition of this important of what I call EQ or engaging with human beings in terms of building um, a team, a startup team. And, you know, that's something you consciously mentioned to us as something that you paid attention to as you lead Flyer. And my understanding is Flyer as a company is very much and intentionally designed to be technically heavy on the team and just by the nature of the solution that yeah. you bring in a market. What are, what are some of the things you've been paying attention on in terms of enabling technical talent without trying to force them to be someone or something they're not? But at mm -hmm. the same time, fostering a bit of that EQ, a bit of that softer skills and communication and the importance of culture and camaraderie uh, within an increasingly growing team that's distributed yeah. in nature across multiple cultures. Yeah. Well, I think in our business, we're an enterprise SaaS. We deal with a handful of customers that are multi-million dollar a year contracts, right? So we, we are different from many startups that are building culture around their consumer customer engagement. And like, we're much more focused on our technology and the numbers of performance. And while I completely understand how some startups build their culture around, you know, in intense excitement between the leaders of the company and the team and, you know, pep rallies. And that's not really what we are. What we are, what we do do though, is that we have incredibly smart people that, and when I say smart, that doesn't mean heavily educated and academical, right? Like I, I'm, if somebody can do the job, I don't care what your resume looks like. So, and then we have, we have also people that really care. They care about the problems they're trying to solve. They care about solving them well. And this is particular also to like people that are technically very skilled because they like to deliver something that works. Now, if I go back to the values that are important to me and that I try to instill in the rest of our leadership team as we try and build a business and that I believe are primary drivers of retention and happiness of the team, the first one is enablement, right? It is not my job to tell people what to do or how to do it, right? It is my... like. As a leader at Flyer, um, I do try and direct the business, but the way I think of it is as soon as a company is past 10, 15 people, it basically becomes a very big ship with a very small rudder, right? And, and so my job becomes more like picking the, the targets far, far out and enabling the team to, to get there and to, to make sure that they have what they need to perform. Secondly, and this is something I think is forgotten a lot, and that is we all expect people in our organization to make the right decision. But nobody can make the right decision if they don't have the variables or transparency they need to make the decision. So a big part of what I try and do and what I try and have the rest of the management team do is make sure that people have the information and the transparency they need to make the right decision. And then, uh, and it's fine if the right decision turns out to be wrong, right? And then third, it's more like the ownership piece. Right, like people are going to be extremely committed if you let them run with something and give them ownership. Especially in our company, sometimes that means that people might get overwhelmed by the complexity or the size of something they're they're asked to do. But at the same time, that's where the skill set and their ability that they were hired for, in part, uh, will kick in, and they'll always figure it out. So between the enablement, focusing on providing transparency, and giving them ownership of something, I think we can foster a culture of very like high retention, happiness, happiness tied to the work you're doing and the satisfaction you're getting from it. 
uh, especially like I said, because our business is a lot less tied to you know millions of consumers that are tweeting about how happy they are about the product, right? We work with airlines, we build pricing systems for airlines, everything is data-based, right? Uh, and our responsibility is huge, right? Our, our software has to set the prices for tens of billions of dollars of revenue for you know, a handful of customers. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And you know, you've been involved with Flyer for over several years, is that correct? And Yes. Yeah, in terms of what you've seen, what are some of the main reasons like your talent chooses to join Flyer? Yes, I think I think that's a. I have to think about this. So, if I go back to the some of the current leadership team at Flyer, so our chief architect and and head of product, Cole. I remember hiring Cole at my kitchen table as our very first hire in the company. Cole had just finished a second degree in data science at the University of San Francisco. He was extremely quick to pick up on industry specifics, on problem solving questions. So I hired him purely based on I believed he could become the person that the company would need or he could mold into the skill sets and, and things a company would need. Because the reality of startups is they change, right? Whether you call it a pivot or whether you call it a realignment or whatever it may be, right? Sort of change. So the way you retain people is by finding people that 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 you're confident will be able to mold with the company as the company evolves. And in our case, we started the business as a consumer travel company, forecasting prices and helping consumers. We then pivoted to B2B2C, where we would sell our products to big travel companies as a reseller agreement. And then we pivoted to enterprise SaaS, providing software to price for airlines. And if I look at the at our team, which has an extremely high retention, the one skill set or characteristic that that identifies them very much is they're very they're all very capable to 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 mold with the company as the company changes shape. And I think that's been a key kind of component of of building a really strong team that is retained and and is extremely successful as the company evolves. Yeah. Wow, great. And for a lot of those team members, are they most excited about Flyer and the problem they're solving or do they have kind of different motivations across the board? Everybody who's joined this company has primarily joined it because the problem we're solving is something nobody else is doing. It is technically extremely complex and the outcome can be very profitable and fruitful for everyone. Right. So I think in that in that order, uh, I would say is, is why people have joined and stayed with the company. Yeah. Wow. Very exciting. And as you think about uh, the roles that you'll need to hire for as you grow Flyer as a company, do you believe that that is still an important criteria that needs to be satisfied for anyone looking to join Flyer in the future? Or, or have there been, are there new criteria that you're looking for as well now that you're a more, a more mature company, still in the early phases, but a more mature company than when, for example, when Cole joined? At your yeah. kitchen table. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So I think you already mentioned this earlier. So we're, we're very technical heavy. We have no sales, no account management. We have none of that. It's all engineers and data scientists, right? So like we have like 70 engineers and data scientists, even the managers are very technical. So as we grew as a company and as your organization of engineers grows, many other SaaS companies, if they have 70 engineers, they're probably the size of 200 or more people in total. Right. In our case, it's 100% engineers. So we have to build a company that can support the engineering organization. You typically find at much larger companies. And that's been not, I wouldn't say challenging, but that's been quite an experience, right? Like, how do you, how do you manage that many people? How do you scale a tech, a team that technical very, very, very quickly? And I think 
as you scale the company, of course, we do need more process, right? And, and we do need to have people that are experienced with, you know, hiring and scaling that team. So the skill sets, I would say, we are more actively looking for skill sets of people that, you know, have done this before, right? Because while early on or on small projects or on dedicated small teams, you can, you can experiment, right? If you have 70 people being dependent or engineering teams of 20 people being dependent on functioning well together, you cannot really afford, you know, throwing a Hail Mary. So I think in our case, when it comes to the managers and the, the staff engineers, you know, those, those tend to be also very heavily graded on have they proven to do it before? Because as a startup, you can't afford spending six months hoping they will. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for entertaining a question that just came out of the blue. <laughs> the, um, and just because we're hitting towards the end of the interview, obviously we're in interesting economic times. For you, what are what are some of the things uh, you are most excited about in terms of you and the Flyer team achieving both in the short term and the long term? I mean, obviously some of that might be the same, but but in this present state of affairs, what gets you up in well, the morning? So I think on a very specific Flyer specific level for us, the current pandemic and, and global economic situation that is de- devastating to airlines has exposed the gap of capability and the need of capability that exists with these airlines, right? While, while traditionally they were kind of okay with these legacy solutions that have existed for 20 years that power their pricing and their e-commerce, it's now become painfully obvious that those solutions do not give them the flexibility they need, right? So for us, for Flyer, it's one of the biggest opportunities we faced like since our founding, right? Like we are the only company right now that has the ability to operate and perform under the new conditions, right? Of this, everybody keeps saying this new world, right? But like under, under this new environment, like this new context. Now, if I expand that to more general levels, I would say there are tons of companies out there in different spaces in every vertical that have an opportunity right now to use the fact that they are either better equipped to shift into a different direction or to use the fact that where they were previously competing with incumbents, they now turn out to be kind of the innovator that people want, right? So I think there's a lot of companies out there that can, that can turn this kind of tough time into a strength. There's also a lot of companies, I would argue the one that are less innovative and are more copying what's already out there that will have a really, really tough time, right? So. Uh, but I, I strongly believe we're on the opportunistic, positive side of that equation. And while for us, it means, you know, impact to revenue in 2020, we're looking at a leapfrog opportunity in 2021 and beyond. Thank you. I think that's a good place to leave the mic. Thank you. Yeah, nicely done. <laughs>